This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you sell less and advise more by turning you into a recognized subject matter authority. Visit us at proudmouth.com to learn more about our Influence Accelerator services. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now, here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Okay, here we are for another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Exciting topic and exciting guest uh, today. Uh, I'm meeting for the first time Steve Wershing from the Client Driven Practice. I'm really excited to have Steve on today. And Steve is gonna talk a little bit about a long-standing practice within advisors' practices, so much that I think many advisors like myself started and stopped putting together client advisory boards. So really excited to dig deep on that. And Steve, maybe you can say a quick hello uh, to the audience and maybe give us a little background on, on how you got where you are today. You bet. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's really nice to meet you. I enjoy the podcast. So I, I have been hanging around financial services a long time. I, I got into the business back when the earth was hot and flat in 1987, one week before the crash. So uh, timing is everything. And uh, But it set me up well for the beginning of my career because I was a registered rep and the whole next year I could say to my clients, not one of my clients lost any money in the crash last year because of course I didn't have any clients. So, um, uh, so I went from that to being a branch manager to being a division manager. And then I went independent. I wanted to get away from the captive environment and went independent and did that for about a year and then got invited to do some work in the home office of my broker dealer, which happened to be in the same town I was here in Rochester, New York. And so I, he, the president wanted me to do some support type things for advisors. And so I started working with advisors. And over time, I worked more and more with advisors and less and less with clients until I was chief operating officer. And uh, some years into that, I got recruited away to be president of a uh, small regional broker dealer and, and did that for, for eight years and then left that to start my consulting career. And, and you know, in a, in a small firm, everybody has to do everything, right? So I've, I've done ops and I've done compliance. And, but the fun part was always helping advisors build their business. And so I left and wanted to focus on that. And got that's where I, when I started getting trained in doing client advisory boards by a mentor of mine who had done them for all different kinds of industries and started work, you know, taking it from there to referrals to a bunch of other stuff. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Love it. Yeah. Awesome background. I didn't know uh, that you had all those BD positions too, and ultimately, you know, pretty much ran a BD, which is, uh, which is fantastic. So I'm looking really forward to going deep here. And Steve, maybe just to make things really simple for our listeners, maybe you can just start kind of defining what, what is a client advisory board? Like when you think of a client advisory board, what is it? What's its purpose? That kind of thing. Yep. A client advisory board is, a, is an ongoing facilitated conversation with about a dozen of your best clients. The, the, the object of an advisory board is to understand from the client's perspective what it's like to work with you so that you can figure out how to do it better. That's what, that's what, it, that's what an advisory board is. Love it. Simple. So about a dozen clients, mm-hmm. only clients, correct, is generally how you um, do it? Not necessarily, no. If I mean, there are, there are lots of different ways, depending on what you're trying to do to put this together. One, one thing that is very common is that we will frequently have a, a center of influence on an advisory board for a couple of reasons. One is, and we can dig into this if you want to, one, one reason is 
that if there's it's 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 never bad to have a, an influential center of influence here directly from your clients how much they love you that's always good <laughs> that's yes, good for getting yeah. more referrals and but also you know and, and it a uh, if the if the if the long term objective is to use this to help you build your business we're talking with clients you know they they may be able to refer one or a few people any any given year but a but a good center of influence who works with your target clients can could refer lots of people every year so they they can actually represent they can be a proxy for a whole bunch of clients so it's it's like having a whole bunch of extra people in the room yeah, can can visualize it right when you and and I think you probably know or maybe you don't that we do a lot of work with CPA firms. Yeah. Um. So I can imagine having a CPA in that room, right, and hearing hopefully all of the positive feedback, right, from your yeah. clients and and what their experience has been like. So totally get it. And you know, I said this a, a little in the opening remarks. I myself, I mean, I'm going back probably the early 2000s. I, I actually ran two client advisory boards at the same time. So I actually had two groups going. I think my groups were a little smaller. It was probably like eight clients or so. Okay. And I remember we used to do it on Saturday mornings and we would do it over breakfast at a local hotel that had like a nice brunch actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was super impactful. In fact, Steve, yeah. it worked so well. We stopped doing it. Exactly. <laughs> Just like all the good ideas, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all do that. If we were building deeper, more meaningful relationships with clients. We were getting great feedback, a lot of it that we were able to make adjustments within the business and we were getting referrals. So yeah. I just decided. So I guess, yeah, so why reason, on earth would you keep doing that, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, almost too easy. So, well, that definition is good. And I think, I think advisors sometimes may be a little challenged to, to really look at it and go, do I actually want to put my clients together? right in a room and maybe have them not say such amazing things. So maybe you could talk a little bit about who the right client is, how, you know, just how do you start one? Maybe you could just ramble a little bit about how, if you were an advisor and you wanted to consider this, how do you actually start to build it? Well, let, let's let's get at that misconception first because I think that's really important. And, and it's, I always have to smirk when, when I hear that kind of thing. You know, I, I, we hear that, you know, well, I would never want some of my best clients to meet some of my other best clients because like we would never for example do a client appreciation event because they might bump into each other there i mean it's just it's just True. silly right it, it, the uh, the fact is that that your best clients really like you and one of the things that we find and you may have found this if you do appreciation events they really like each other because if you've got a good solid client persona if you've got a, a specific target client you're shooting for they're they're a lot of those people are alike and they end up liking each other as part of that. The, the, it, to the extent that, that anything bad could come out in a client advisory board, the way that you address that is by good facilitation. If you don't know what you're doing, you can stumble into a, an unproductive area of conversation. But if you've got a facilitator who knows how to steer the conversation and knows how to put together questions, you're not going to run into that. So one big secret beyond getting the right people together in the room is to have the right questions to put in front of them. Questions that seek input that lets you improve things, but but really minimize the risk that somebody's going to say something negative. And then have a good facilitator who knows how to navigate that stuff and, and can can keep you on track. 
Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I've got a, I've got a lot. Of, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate on this sure. podcast and kind of help help ask some of those difficult questions that advisors probably keep them from acting. So, yeah. so Steve, I, for now, I'm an advisor, and I go, you know what? I just listened to this great podcast with Steve from the Client Driven Practice, and I, I in 2022, right around the corner here, I'd like to start to build my own group here. What do I do first? Yeah. So we have, it's, I'll, I'll break it down. So when we do an advisor, a new advisory board for, for an advisor, we have a seven-step coaching program. So I'll just take it one step at a time the way we go through it. The first question is, who do I put on the board? And so that's the first thing you have to decide. And what, what we suggest is that you aim for your target client, the, the, the person who you next want to walk through the door. That's the kind of person you want on there. Now, we hear, we hear a lot of advisors who say, well, I want a, a spectrum of, of my clients and that kind of stuff. And I, I recommend against that. I just go for it. You know, if, if the object is to, is to grow your business in the direction that your target clients most want you to go, building the services that they most want you to provide, then you should populate that with your target clients. So you start there. Your first step is to figure out who to put on the board. The second step is to know how to ask them. <clears throat> One of the big objections that I get is, oh, my clients are busy professionals and they would never have time. I, I do advisory boards with Fortune 100 executives. I do advisory boards with surgeons. I do advisory boards with you know busy executives and they always come. And it's because you're giving them the opportunity to have a say in what you do for them and, and to do it better. That, that's, that's a pretty big motivator. So, But there's a way of asking them to, uh, how to do it so that they will accept. And, and I, I've had a couple of sort of graphic, graphic experiences of, of how important that is, that the advisors who follow the way that we suggest you do it pretty much get almost everybody accepting to participate on the board. But I've had a few who sort of like went off the rails and just did whatever they felt like. And I was surprised how I figured they would still get a high, high response rate, but some of them got a really low response rate. So there, there, is, there is definitely a secret to how you do it so that they accept. The next step is to put together the agenda. The, again, the second most important thing about an advisory board is the quality of the questions that you ask. And so that's how to put together that agenda. And actually, we have agendas that go through the first four or five or six meetings in the life of an advisory board. But you, you typically start with the more general stuff you know, of all the things I do for you, what do you find most valuable? When you were looking for an advisor, what challenge were you looking to solve? When you were evaluating different advisors, what pushed you off the fence in our direction? What was the decisive thing? So the, 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 the quality of the questions is the next big thing. If you do it live, the next thing is where to do it, you know, how to choose the right venue. The next thing is how to get a good facilitator. You don't want to do one of these yourself for two reasons. One is that just like providing financial advice, facilitation is a skill and you get better at it when you get trained on how to do it and you get a lot of practice. But also because we, you know, I think it's best that you be part of the conversation. And if you are running the conversation, it's hard to be in the conversation. So it's better to have somebody else, a disinterested third party, to actually be be asking the questions because that way they can ask questions innocently that from you might sound like a sales pitch. And also um, the client doesn't have as much of a vested interest in the relationship. The facilitator has no relationship with the client. So if somebody's got something on their mind, it's a lot more likely they'll say it to the facilitator than they would say it to, directly to you. And that, that that's where the gold is, right? I mean, if if you don't walk away with something you can change for the better, you've wasted your time. 
It's just been a client appreciation event. But you want somebody to say, you know, I'd really rather you do this, or I'd like that, or I, I'm not real comfortable with how you do this. Those are that's what you're looking for, man. That's that's what you want out of that because when, then you get to go back to your clients and say, hey, this is what we heard, and we changed it because we heard it. That that's a huge statement for clients. And then, of course, the final the final secret is what you do with that feedback, because if you get really good feedback and you fail to act on it, it's worse than never having asked at all. You know, you you want to make sure because if you ask and they tell you and then you don't do anything, you're telling them, well, that didn't really matter to me. So, so th- those are the, the principles behind, behind it and the order in which you would do it if you want to get one started. Love it. So I, I'm taking notes, as you can see. We're, <laughs> we're on video here feverishly. So step one, who's, who's your target client? That's who we want to ask, right? Yep. Those that we want to clone in the business. Step two is once we f- figure out who we want to ask is what is the ask? How do we actually ask in the right way? So the I presume the client is comfortable and willingness. And I would just add there, Steve, I've got a leadership coach and he always asked this question, which I thought was really a great way of thinking about things. And what he says is when you study human behavior and you ask a, another human, would you rather actually ask for help or give help over 95% of the time people would prefer to actually give help sure. than to ask for help. So when Makes you sense. ask someone, would you mind doing me a favor? I hope it's not an imposition, et cetera, et cetera. The likelihood is, is you're going to be shocked at how good it makes your clients feel that they're actually valued, I would right. presume. And, and I, I, would, I would enhance that even because you don't want to be asking a client for a favor if you can help it. I mean, people will do favors for you, but, but it's better to ask, would you give me, would you give me some help doing a better job for you. I, I, I know that there are things I can improve, but I'm not sure I know exactly what they are, but I know you know what they are. Would you help me out figuring what that is, figuring out what that is? Yeah. Love it. Love it. Little, little different, right? Different words, yeah. uh, which is amazing. So how to ask step three is have a solid agenda, right? Step four is I can't read my whole, my, oh, having the right questions, right? I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> yep. read my own handwriting right. for a minute. Step five is where to actually hold hold it, right? Having the right, the right place. And then step six was a really interesting one, which is having the right facilitator, which is not necessarily or not ideally, let's say you, in this case, as the advisor, which is something that I've never thought of. And I think that's quite good. And then step seven is once you get that feedback, you, you, you better make sure you actually address it. Uh, yeah. Otherwise it's not going to, not going to go really well. So exactly. I can't stop as I'm, you know, as you're going here, I'm going, man, and I, I mean this as a compliment, by the way. It's like I, I'm a big believer, and I talk a lot about the book "Who Not How," right? Dan Sullivan's yeah. book. Yeah, it's a great book. So you're you've got all this experience in running these groups, right? You're you're a who? I mean, you've done it. You've got these seven steps. I'm sure there's a lot more. The questions that you ask, all, all the do's and don'ts. And I feel like that to me, I didn't even know existed. So my question, Steve, is are you like one of the few groups out there that actually help? It sounds like not just financial advisors, but business professionals in general run client advisory boards because I've never heard of anything like it. Yeah, well, there are groups that do. There are other groups that do advisory boards across different industries. I, I do. I do more advisory boards for financial advisors than anybody in the world. 
So, but that's because that's where I come from. So like, like I mentioned, there, there's a guy who taught me, my mentor about this stuff. And he's done, he's done more advisory boards than I have, but he's done them across all these different industries and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I've, I've got what, what, I, what I know because I'm an advisor myself. I know what, I know what happens between advisors and clients. I know what those conversations are like. I, I know because I've worked in the back office, I know the business lingo and that kind of stuff. And so I just stick to that. I just, that's, that's my, that's my niche. And so, so yeah, I've, so we've, we've developed a lot of expertise here. And, and like I said, we do it more than anybody else. Yeah, no, love it. So can I ask, and again, I don't want to go too deep into your process, but I like to push a little bit, sure. right? So when, when you think about kind of the, the how to ask, I think, you know, identifying your favorite clients that are the right target market for most advisors, that should be, you know, fairly, fairly simple, I would think. What are the important pieces in the ask? And I'm just curious, is it done in person? Is it on the phone? Is it, uh, you know, a standard letter, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. So, so there are a couple principles. First, because you just mentioned it, this needs to be a live conversation. You can, it can be in person, it can be on the phone, it can be over Zoom, whatever, but it needs to be a live conversation. If, because a lot of people have some misunderstandings about, about what this is. They don't know what a client advisory board is. And so they will, they, they may assume like, oh, this is like a nonprofit board, you know, and if you've ever served on a nonprofit board, one of the things you know is it takes a lot of time if you're going to do a good job. And so there, there are, those kinds of reasons why people might why people might decline and if if they just get if they get a letter if they get an email it's just easier to say no than to have to think it through or follow it up but if it's a live conversation you can navigate it so it needs to be a live conversation the other thing is you know one of the I've sort of the bedrock of the of my coaching philosophy is that it has to be all about the client now everybody who's listening out there will say well duh but but what I mean is, if you're thinking about your marketing, if you're thinking about what services you offer, if you're thinking about the things you do for clients, who thought all that stuff up? Was it you? Well, then if you haven't asked, then it's not all about the client. And so when I say it's all about the client, it means you need to go to them and find out what they're looking for. And so when you have that live conversation, it needs to be oriented around what are they going to get out of it? Why should they do it? And they should do it for two basic reasons. One is because you're going to be able to do a better job for them and because they are such an important relationship to you. And so th those are critical parts of the conversation. That's where you get the engagement. That's where you get people's buy-in and participation is, is to say, listen, you're one of my most important relationships. I really want to find out how to do a better job. Nobody can tell me how to do that better than my best clients. And I just couldn't imagine doing something like this without you being involved and have it be a really productive enterprise. So would you help me out? Give me some yes, of that feedback. That sounds help, like help a good me. ask. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's you do it that way, and you're going to get a lot of a lot of people saying yes. Yep. Love it. No. So so in in person is is the the way to do it, and I love the ask. And do you do you provide your clients with some level of scripting for that? I oh, presume. Yeah. And yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. and we coach them through it. So, I mean, we have a we have a do-it-yourself kit that you can buy, and, and it's got all that stuff in there. But, but when when we do it as a as a consulting relationship, we we practice it. We run through it a bunch of times so that by the time you call someone, you're comfortable doing it. Got it. So you go through role plays and all that yep. kind of stuff. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proudmouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising 
by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. And then, Steve, is there like a... um a certain number of meetings that are usually had per year? Is this a monthly thing, a quarterly thing? What do you, I'm sure there's different ways to do it, but do you have sort of like kind of your, your, you know, your go-to, so to speak? Yeah. Most, most of our clients do it twice a year. Okay. Um, but here's the key. Here's the most important thing. And, and sometimes clients, sometimes firms will do it more frequently at the beginning when they learn all kinds of new things and then they'll they'll sort of taper down on the frequency but the key thing is you want to you want to do them only as often as you can implement changes so you're you know john you're a busy advisor you've got plenty of stuff on your plate if you di- if you did not change anything about your practice you'd still have a good full work week so when it comes time to figuring out okay well here's the feedback we got and so we need to figure out what kind of changes we can make to improve things and then we've got to figure out how to implement it and then we've got to figure out how to communicate it well that takes some time so you want to make sure that you put enough space between the meetings so that when you come back for the next one, it, one of the things I insist that advisors do is the first thing in a meeting is give them an update on all the feedback they got at the last meeting. This is what you told us, and this is what we did with that. Um, and that ideally there would be, you know, it's okay. You know, if you can't get to something, that's okay. And you just let them know that this is what you told us last time. We think it's really important. It's just been crazy busy around here. So I apologize. We haven't been able to get to it, but we haven't forgotten. It's still on our radar. But even better, if you can go back to them and say, this is what you told us. This is what we did with it. Did we get it right? Is this, is this what you were hoping for? Is this what you were looking for? And this is the change that we implemented. So you want to make sure they're at least that far apart. Yeah, no, makes makes sense. It sounds like you've got a really dialed in process. So so you've now, we've kind of just talked through, I'm going to kind of just, this is the way I do things, Steve. Yeah, sure. I kind of just drill down, right? So yeah, yeah. really helpful uh, to me and hopefully to our audience. So we've got our target client, right? We've we've talked a little bit about how to ask in person and you provide some more coaching on kind of the, the verbiage. You had talked about having an agenda, right? So I presume that agenda kind of shares with the, the group, the purpose of the group, thanking them for coming for the first meeting for sure, mm-hmm. and then starts to drill down into very thought-provoking questions. So now I don't want to ask you to tell us all the questions, but give us an idea of like what would what would the type of question, maybe two or three common questions that you would be asking uh, a group in your, you know, let's say your first uh, meeting. Yeah. Well, what I can tell you, I'll tell you a few of the questions, but, but I'll also tell you sort of the way that we approach it. The, for, the way that we begin for a new meeting, for a new client advisory board, we'll start with what we call the value questions. And those are some of the ones that I mentioned before. When you were looking for an advisor, what challenge were you looking to solve? What, what was decisive in your choosing this advisor? Of all the things that John does for you, which include the services he provides and importantly, how he does them, what's most valuable to you? Um, those are important value questions. But then from there, we systemat- we go to systematically deconstruct the experience. So for example, the next step would typically be to get feedback on your review meetings. We, f- I feel like that's, that's the point of the greatest leverage. You know, that's something that every client goes through and, it, and they go through it between one and four times a year. 
And so if you can do a 10% improvement in your review meeting, that can be huge because it's multiplied all the way. I mean, I listened to your um, to your podcast a little while ago where you talked about the quarterly themes, the quarterly check-ins, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, if, if you can make a little improvement there, that's across all your clients four times a year. That's a potentially a huge return. Yep. So we so we start breaking down, you know, each aspect of of the um of the experience. So the client review meeting, your client communications package, your client appreciation events, all of those kinds of things. And those are all things that directly benefit the people who are sitting in the room. So we start with those. Once you've done that for a couple meetings, you've got permission to get their feedback to improve things that are not necessarily going to improve things for them. So like your onboarding process and your planning process, you know, those kinds of things that they've gone through, but they're not going to go through again. But you know, if, if you've really, if you've shown that you're committed to making things better for them, then they'll help you out with other things too. And this is, this is eventually how you get around to referrals is that once you've demonstrated that you really want to do a better job for them and, and, and add a lot of value, then they're more than happy to, to, to help you to help coach you along in the stuff that they, maybe they're not necessarily going to directly benefit in. Yeah. Love it. They found, they feel like they're part of the solution now too. And like, right a real member, right? Of yeah, your team. Yeah, they're a participant. And so this is one of the big things, you know, it's, there's a difference between client satisfaction and client engagement. And my friend, Julie Littlechild talks about this all the time. And, and so if you can get them coaching you on how to do a better job, well, they've just gone from being a, a spectator or a consumer to a participant. And that yeah. can be really, that's, I think that's why, I think that's one of the big reasons why people on your advisory board tend to be much stronger referral sources later. Yeah, no, makes sense. If they won't want to feel like their input is having an impact as well. Exactly. And the best way to have an impact is to have more more clients join you for sure. They become advocates. Yeah, well, um, not only that, but I mean, once they get a sense of just how deep you're willing to go and how much you're willing to improve, now they really want their friends to participate in it, right? Because now it's drilled down farther into them. Yeah, they're just realizing, I know we're saying the same thing here, but how much you care, right? You're going, hey, exactly. I, just, exactly. I just want to get better. How do I, you know, how do I serve you better? Um, That's right. As you think about it and deconstruct it, it makes it makes an awful lot of sense. So facilitation, that was something I didn't realize. So do you personally or folks within your organization? So as an example, if 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 my wealth management practice, KWM, said, hey, I'd like to personally go run a client uh, advisory board. Is that what that means? Like literally in these two meetings a year, I'm engaging you to come and facilitate that meeting and ask the questions. Is that how that works? I do a lot of them. We also have other facilitators just because you can only spread me so thin. But yes, so it would be an outside person. And I'll also say that we would love to help you. We'd love to help your listeners. But regardless of who you go to, the important thing is that you bring in somebody who knows how to do that. So there's one advisor who's in uh, Charlotte, and he likes to use one of his clients, actually, as a facilitator. And the client happens to be a very high-level corporate communications guy. He's the guy who goes stands in front of the cameras when the corporation's in the news. So he knows how to do this. He knows how to how to manage a conversation. And he does really well at that. So you don't necessarily, and we would love it if you'd hire us, but but you don't have, but as long as you bring in somebody who has those skills, has them practiced and is, and is not you, those are the things. Yeah. You know what I can relate. I, um, you know, we do a lot of offsite planning, different scenario. And I've always been the facilitator. I've always stood in front of the room and ran the meeting and walked away from the meeting exhausted. And sure. 
really just trying to make sure that I was managing and giving everyone a chance to speak and that 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 went well. And about 18 months ago, we had uh, a gentleman on our team, who was actually a past guest, Jeff Maxson, who actually volunteered it and said, he, he was an executive in a past life as well, and said, you know, you're working really hard and wouldn't you like to be a participant in the meeting because you could add value as opposed to yeah. trying to control the direction. So I now sit in those meetings with, with my team and it's a completely different perspective being a participant right? in the meeting exactly. than it is being the facilitator of a meeting. So I, I exactly. get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, again, if, if you stand up in front of, in, in front of the group, the dynamic changes, right? Now, now it's now now it's you and them as opposed to all of you together. Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. So, so Steve, that was super helpful. I love your process, by the way. So, I'm going to ask you kind of a give you a softball, right? <laughs> okay. Why do you find advisors don't do this? Because as we're talking here, I mean, I I'd like to speak with you privately afterwards and and figure out how we start to execute on some of this with our team, because what yeah. that thing can happen from asking clients for feedback and spending more time with them. But what are you finding? Like, why do advisors not actually execute or implement this? Yeah, most advisors don't because of misconceptions. The uh, you, you, you articulated one before, right? That what if one of my clients says something bad about me? You know, so that's a, that's a concern. What if they bring up a question that I don't want to answer? What if they tell me to do something I don't want to do? Those are those are all those are all misconceptions that that I think you know it's 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 hard to open yourself up to clients. It's hard to 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 open things up and say I'm willing to change if it will make things better for you. Um, and so I think some of those misconceptions really play on that. First, clients saying saying bad things about you. I mean, if one top client says something bad about you, you don't want them saying it in front of eleven other really good clients. Well, let, let's let's think about this for a minute. Your best clients love you. You have all their money. They 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 appreciate the relationship with you, and they want you to do well. They're they're not going to be Don Rickles in the room, right? They're not they're not going to slam you now. <laughs> Uh, by the same token, if, 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 if somebody really feels strongly that they would like something different or if something really kind of rubs them the wrong way, wouldn't you want to know that? Right. I mean, you know, it's even worse. You know, it's, you know, so many clients that you lose, the first notice that you get is the outgoing ACAT, you know, so you, you want to have a good, open, honest conversation. But, but you know, it, and, and, and actually getting that can be a challenge because people don't want to say bad things. They don't want to say things that are going to hurt your feelings. Even things that are not directed at you, but your service and things that would make things better. Sometimes that can be a challenge. And that's part of the facilitator's job is to get that stuff out. But so that's what, that's a misconception. Some people, you know, there are some actual people who write in our field who, <clears throat> who believe they're a bad idea uh, because they think that you should be the one who's innovating and coming up with the stuff rather than looking to the clients. But but you need their input, right? You're you're providing a service. You're 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 asking them. You're, you're trying to create something desirable, and it just doesn't make any sense, whatever, to me to try to do that without involving them in the process somehow. Yeah. It's what the big companies do. So it's it's mo most of most of the uh, most of the people who most of the fears are misconceptions, and most of the people who have horror stories they're few and far between. But most of the people who have horror stories about advisory boards come from incompetent facilitation.
So if you've got a good, you know, a skilled facilitator who knows how to ask the right questions, then, you know, the, uh, most of the other things that keep advisors away are misconceptions. Yeah, no, makes sense. You know, I've heard the, the term VOC, voice of the customer, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's exactly right. So here's an interesting question. What are the things that, that you generally find? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm just kind of thinking through it and going, it's sort of like getting, I've done this within the organization, right? 360 feedback where yeah, it's sure. more of a random kind of questionnaire type process. Are there, are there common themes that you see where out of an advisory board, I can imagine things like, man, you know, you, I come in four times a year and that's too much as an example, or Sally, you know, you're great, John, but Sally on your team takes two days to return a phone call sometimes. And, and you didn't know that, right. Or no one ever answers the phone live because the receptionist is not, you know, not doing his or her job uh, at the front desk. Any common themes that you see? Yeah, well, and and so yeah, you want to. I'll just pick up on that last point you made first. You know, you you that's some of the stuff you really want to uncover, right? It's like I love my doctor, hate her assistant. You don't want something like that going on. But some of the common th- well, I think the, the the biggest, most overarching common theme is that clients actually value things that are not what you think. That's the big thing. So one of the things that I have to, that I have some of the, sometimes it's hard to break to the advisor, but your clients don't really care that much about your investment process, not as much as you think. Yep. And that's, that's a big learning for a lot of people. They, 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 they care about it intensely at the very beginning because you're going to run all their money. But once they become convinced that you know what you're doing, they're done. They delegate it to you. They don't want to know that much about it. They want to know what did my portfolio do last year? How much did it go up? Maybe they want to know how it did compared to a benchmark. And then that's really about it. Well, actually, I'll, I'll say what they really want to know is what, what, th- what potential risks do you see potentially arising? What would you do in response to that? And what would trigger that response? Th- those, are, those are the things that clients want to know about. So if you say, we anticipate interest rates are going to go up, which could have an impact on your portfolio. If they do, this is what we would do to restructure it. And this is how this is when we would know we need to do it. That's the stuff your clients really want to know. But also, I, I, the most significant thing from my perspective is, you know, all about your value prop. You, you think that you have a good, strong value proposition and you, have, you think that you have a value proposition that really motivates clients. And I will tell you, 80% of you are wrong. When you actually ask the client, why did you choose this advisor? What's most valuable to you? We get, we get, we get answers that, that are not always what advisors expected. Interesting. So what are those? I've got to ask. Like, <laughs> like what, what kind of things? It, it, well, it really depends. It depends on the advisor and it depends on the target market and depends on the relationship. Sometimes it's, you know, you got to the, you made a comment about this before. Maybe it's, you know, you always return my phone call within 24 hours. That might be the most valuable part of it. I can get the advisors all over the place, but you're the guy who always returns my call and I can count on that. Or some, some, some advisors have an investment process and, and, and the, the people don't necessarily care that much about the mechanics of the process, but by having a disciplined process that you adhere to helps them understand that you're looking at their portfolio on a regular basis. I've done boards for a bunch of firms where people said, I really appreciate that you have a process. I really appreciate that it's data-driven. I really appreciate that you, that you stick to it with a discipline, even when I object to it, those kinds of things. 
because the last guy, I don't, once he sold it to me, I don't know that he ever looked at it again. Sure. Yeah. Yep. You hear that a lot. Makes sense. So Steve, from a, from a tangibility perspective, you know, there's two, two reasons an advisor would do this. One is I think a lot of what we were just talking about getting really valuable feedback about your process and what it's like to be a client so that you can improve your client experience. And then secondly, the hope I guess is right. Probably shouldn't be the purpose of why to do it, but the hope is that, Hey, there's some, some new business that's being won. Any color you could add there. I know it's probably, you know, I'm sure there's stories of, you know, a client won a $50 million referral and advisors who've gotten zero business from it or very little business. But is there a rule of thumb of what you find? Like, does it take a year? Is an advisory board? That's actually a great question as well. You're meeting, you know, twice a year. Do you usually have the same participants for one full year, two years, five years? So I'm, I'm going to hit you with the cut and two step, I call sure. it. Yeah, One yeah. is how many years does an advisory board usually last or is it kind of in perpetuity? Uh, and then secondly, some tangibility, like what can an advisor expect from business results? Yeah, I, I actually want to back up for just a second because you made a really important comment and I, I want to emphasize it. And that is that your primary motivator needs to be creating a better experience for the clients. And then the secondary one is to generate new business. So I've, I've worked with some advisors who all they want to do is get more referrals. That's it. That's what they want to get. And what we find out later is they don't really want to change anything about what they do. They, they, they're, they're perfectly happy doing what they would. They just want more referrals. Well, if you're not committed to providing a better experience, you're not going to get the referrals. And if you are committed to do it, you will get them. So you said it exactly right. You want to do a better job for the client. And then but you hope that it generates more business and it will, but that's the right, the right way to frame that. So, uh, the, the, two the, the second yeah. step question was, yeah. was where you just led there. What, what do you find typically from a new business perspective would be a reasonable expectation? Yeah. I, I, I think it reasonable to, to, to start, to get to start getting referrals, new introductions after your second or third meeting, you may get some after your first. But once, once, but for some people, you they they really you really need to demonstrate it, right? You need to ask them the questions, and then they need to see you make changes because of it. They need to see the results come out of it, and when, and they may not necessarily be asking themselves that in the back of their mind, but when you prove it to them, that that really comes through, and that's when they start getting a lot more engaged. Love it. And then what about the time frame? Are advisory boards, you know, generally like a, a long-term expectation once a client's in it, that becomes your advisory board. The hope is at least for, for years and years. Is that the hope? I, I think that it ought to be part of your strategy. I think it ought to be, you know, an ongoing thing because that should be one of the critical inputs for your strategic and marketing plans. But that requires that an advisor, you know, always be thinking of new things, always be thinking of new ways to serve better, always, you know, and some advisors are like that. And I've had some clients for a very long time and they've always got something new to bring to the meeting. They've always got something new to ask. But for advisors who are not necessarily oriented that way, what we find is that after about four or five years, it starts to sort of, you know, dissipate a little bit. And, and so we might take a breather for a few years, but, but certainly the first, the first four years, we've got all kinds of questions that we that we can ask, all kinds of things that we can go through in your business, and really get some some good some good feedback. And then if if you're always thinking of new things, always thinking of you know new ways to serve your client, then you can keep it going forever. 
Yeah. And then my mind, you could probably think how I think a little bit as a multiplier is, and I alluded to this as to what I did back in the early 2000s is, do, do some of your advisors run multiple groups? I mean, again, 12 clients, I guess, you know, or, and, and I guess 12 clients, that's another clarifying, is that Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Or is it sometimes just Mr. Smith? Or is that kind of case by case basis? And then I would say, I look at my team, a lot of my lead advisors on my team serve roughly 200 families. And they're all, I shouldn't say all, but they're all very important clients, but they're very much target market clients, right? Million dollar type clients mm -hmm. that are in our target market. Why not have one advisor hypothetically run four groups and have right 48 of their clients in four, 12 and four separate groups? Wouldn't you get that multiplication there? I, I, I don't think that you would get multiplication. If you've, if you've chosen the cross-section well, if you've chosen the group well, <clears throat> the, all of those groups should be answering essentially the same questions the same way. Okay. So you, it's, it's, it's not, if, you're, if you're doing it well and you're, and you're consistent about who you want to bring in, you, know, I'd, you, you won't get a whole lot of new answers. And I think that would just, it's, it's, it would be an awful lot of activity, a fair amount of expense. It would just, it's like you said, you know, you do one of those things, you end up exhausted at the end of it. That's a lot. Running four boards is a lot. Yeah. So I okay. think you, I, but, but the other part of your question was, you know, is it one person? Is it two people? And what we recommend is that you invite people to the board the same way that you meet with them in your relationship. So if you meet with couples as a couple, then the couple should participate on the board. If you deal primarily with one person, then that one person could be on the board. It's however you do the relationship. Yep, that's smart. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, Steve, we're almost out of time here. So I, I wanted to, I'm going to do two things. One, I wanted to just ask you any question that I didn't ask that I should have that you'd like to share. And then the last question I will ask you, by the way, is to just tell us a little bit more about how you how you would engage with an advisor. So if an advisor was interested in learning more about how your firm could help them build advisory boards, what that would actually look like. Yeah, I you know, I think <clears throat> I think you've done a really good job of asking the questions that would be most relevant. I don't know that there are any that occur to me that you haven't asked. So I think I think you've done a good job at that. So I can tell you a little bit about our process if you're if you'd like yeah. me to do that. Yeah. So when we contract with a new firm, we have a seven-step coaching process that leads up to that first advisory board meeting. Typical lead time is eight weeks or more. We want to be we want to get far enough into it that we can start calling clients six weeks or more from the actual date of the meeting itself so that we minimize the calendar conflicts that would otherwise come up. And so first couple of meetings are who to choose and how to ask. So we want to get through that second meeting, practice it a few times before you actually start making calls. If you're making calls six to six weeks ahead of time, that means it's an eight-week eight process from the beginning of the process to your first meeting. And again, we go through who to choose, how to ask, how to put the agenda together, what, what questions do you want to ask, what are the mechanics of the meeting, where are you going to do it? And then we, um, the, the, the last one, which is maybe one of the most important, is what can you do in the meeting to, to get the best feedback. And so that, that might get at your question of what haven't you asked. And that is that what can the advisor do in the meeting? If the advisor is not leading the meeting, what can the advisor do in the meeting <clears throat> to get the, to get the best feedback? Because there are a hundred ways that you could inadvertently shut feedback down. 
And the mm-hmm. way that you can do that is by explaining something. <clears throat> if somebody says, John, you, you do this review meeting in this particular way, you know, why did you choose to do it that way? If you answer that, you will never get more feedback about your review meeting because people are used to taking your advice. They think of you as credible and they'll say, oh, that makes sense. There it is. Then we're done. So, so, there, so the, the last coaching meeting is coaching you on what you can do in the meeting to get the best feedback, to continue getting the best feedback. And I'll, I'll give you the sort of short, the Reader's Digest answer to that. And that is participate by asking questions. As long as you are asking questions, then you are getting more information. If somebody asks you a direct, discrete question with a, with a, a, number, a numeric answer or something, fine, go ahead. But if somebody asks you for an explanation or, or to elaborate on something, that needs to be turned into a question. Yeah, I get it. Otherwise, you shut shut down everybody's comfortableness of sharing. Exactly. Well, it, but also they stop thinking about it. If right. you tell them what the right way is, why should they think more about it? They, we know what the best way is. John's already told us. Yeah. Yep. 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 Makes a lot of sense. So great. So I, I think I, Steve, get a, a good understanding. It sounds like your process takes you through those seven steps, basically gets you from idea to ultimately building out your your ideal list of mm-hmm. who should be yep. on the board, getting them to say yes, right? Following yep. that scripting and then ends with, you know, those the the venue that you'll choose and all that kind of stuff. Is is it generally done these days virtually? Are they in person just with the whole COVID world or is it kind of a, a mixed situation? Yeah, we can we can do it either way. Before the, the pandemic, we did the overwhelming majority in person. Once we hit the pandemic and we sort of got over the first part of that, then we went to virtual. And now we can do either one. Most of our clients prefer in-person because there is just something about being physically together with people that's, that's different in a, in, a, in a qualitative way. But there are some good reasons to do virtual ones. If you need to organize one in a hurry to answer a question this quickly, if you have a geographically dispersed client base, there are still reasons to do, to do them virtually. And so we can do it either way. Makes sense. Well, Steve, this was awesome. I could tell from meeting you that you're super passionate about this and um, making an impact in advisors' practices, both by improving their client experience and by driving new business into the business as well. And I can tell you've seemed like you've got a process for everything, which tells me you're very dialed in and very, very much a process-driven person, which is generally, as you know, what makes things work for the long term. Right. Yep. So thank you again for Thanks being for our guest. Me. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun and uh, really interesting for me. I, I really do want to get some time together to see how we might be able to engage you. Where do our listeners find you? Email address, website, that kind of thing, phone number, yep. whatever, whatever you'd like to share. You can you can go to clientdrivenpractice.com. That's the website. And uh, if you want it specifically about advisory boards, you can go to clientdrivenpractice.com slash client-advisory-boards, and it will take you right to that. If you would like a free communication sheet, so that you know, which will tell you when you send communications out, are you differentiating yourself? You can get that at 3D. That's the number 3D as in three-dimensional, 3D.clientdrivenpractice.com. Or you're welcome to call at 585 381 2662. 
Awesome. So Joe uh, on my team will make sure that all gets in the show notes as well. So with that being said, Steve, thank you again. We are recording this just before Thanksgiving, and this is going to be out probably just after Thanksgiving, I think. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody a little late. I hope you didn't eat too much. I know you probably already did and are feeling guilty about it. So I also probably ate too much by now, and I'm also feeling <laughs> guilty. So with that, happy. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for tuning in again. And and again, if you or someone you know could be a good, interesting guest for our show, please make sure that you reach out either via email, telephone, or through our website. And with that being said, thanks again for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you are interested in learning more about how Cut & Consulting Group can help you with comprehensive coaching or partnering with CPA firms in your area, feel free to visit our website at www.cutandconsultinggroup.com or reach out to us at 855-722-9393 to have a conversation.